0: For five weeks, I preached a series of lessons called Fully Devoted Service. And as a person thinks about the kind of service they offer, I think it's important to realize that a religion must be more than just a theory. It's not just about what you and I believe, nor is it just about what we teach But our religion must be something that we also practice. When James wrote in James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27, he said, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but disease his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You see, what James is saying is, it's not just saying we believe in God. It's not just having the right religion. It's making sure that our religion is one devoted to service. And Jesus, our Lord, showed us exactly what that looks like. In the book of Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, as Peter is preaching to Cornelius and his household, he's describing our Lord and he says about him that he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He went about doing good. You and I need to realize that when it comes to being a servant of God and giving the right kind of service to God, that it must be one of service to our neighbors and our friends. And so I want to ask the question, how does our faith cause us to relate to others and their needs? What are you and I doing? Well, this series of lessons that we have studied comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, and... We talked about that, and Brother Tim just read that a few moments ago. And I emphasize with you that the last phrase says, There is no other commandment greater than these. So if we start thinking about loving God with all of our heart, our emotional service, all of our soul, our spiritual service, all of our mind, our mental service all of our strength, our physical service, and then finally our neighbors, ourself, our social service, we recognize there's so many dimensions, so many areas of our service to God and our brothers in the faith and brothers in the world. This morning, I'd like for us to think about loving our neighbor as ourself. And what we're going to do is look at three things. We're going to identify Who is my neighbor? Second of all, we're going to look and see what that includes. What does it mean to say, love my neighbor? And then we're going to look at it idealized. When you and I learn to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. Because you see, as I go to Luke chapter 10, this same idea, loving God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and neighbor, his self, is found there. We read from Luke's account. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law, and what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting just to justify himself, said, But who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You see, this man had asked the Lord, trying to test him, trying to find out what would the Lord say was the greatest command? The Lord turned it right back on him and said, what do you say? What do you read in the law? Well, he answered correctly. But that didn't answer the problem the man had. He wanted to try to put Jesus on the spot. And so he said, who's my neighbor? Now, that was a significant question. Because you have to put yourself in the mind of the people who were testing Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord had said in Matthew 5 and verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to pursue it unless you have a greater righteousness than these. But when I go to such passages as Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48... I understand what they thought. How their mind was reacting to this concept of loving my neighbor as myself. And so, as we read the Lord's words, you have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say, do you love your enemies? Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who persecute you, and uh, spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends a rain on the just and the unjust now listen carefully as we get to verse 46 for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, as you begin to understand what they thought, in their mind was, you love your neighbor. But not everybody's my neighbor. In fact, in their minds, you love your neighbor because he is of a certain type of person. Everybody else is your enemy, and you hate them. If you look carefully at verses 46 and 47, you'll see in those their attitude toward who is my neighbor. Verse 46, you love those who love you. You treat me good, I'll treat you back good. You treat me bad, and I'll treat you bad back. Or look at verse 47, and if you greet your brethren only, those of your acquaintance or those of your nationality or those of your race. You see, in the Jewish mind, or at least the scribes and the Pharisees, their idea was when God said, love your neighbor as yourself, that means love those people who treat you good. That means love your brethren according to the flesh. But if they're a Gentile, you hate them. Or someone's doing you bad, you can hate them back and all. But you see that question that... That man came testing our Lord. Who is my neighbor? The Lord followed that up with a parable we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what he was trying to do was to deal with the idea the respect that you have for the priest, the respect that you would have for the Levite. Neither one of them did anything. But here comes along a Samaritan, the most reviled and hated. Of all the people on the earth, the Jewish man, and who was it that rendered help? The man that showed compassion. And so you and I need to realize who is included in this. Because, see, the Lord ties inseparably love for him and love for one's neighbor. The Apostle John, who's often known as the Apostle of Love, wrote in 1 John 4, verse 20, if one, Someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? As you think about what John just wrote, how can I proclaim my love for God when I can't even love the man that I see in my midst and in my presence? In fact, I'd suggest to you that if you open your Bibles and you start reading, you will find out that every commandment that God has given, both Old Testament and New Testament, can be summarized under one of two headings. For instance, in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Oh, yes, that's looking back. That's looking back to the time of the Old Testament. Every law, you take those ten commandments, every one of them would either fall under loving God or loving one's neighbor. You see, when you and I come to the New Testament and we start thinking about the new covenant and how you and I live, Romans 13 verse 9, Paul said for the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, you should not covet. And if there's any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you should love your neighbors yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. That was written to the church at Rome. You see, today, everything we do, whether it is our singing, our prayers, is either a devotion toward God or it is a love for our fellow man. Well, I know that from that comes the question, well, what does it mean to love my neighbor? What's included in that? If I'm going to do this properly, then I need to know what God would want me to do. Well, I'd like for you to turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 19. Now, I'm not going to be able to look at this whole chapter. I I want you to turn there for your benefit Because this whole chapter could be used, and used profitably, to try to understand what it means to love your neighbor. I'm just going to pick out some verses, verses 11 through 18, verses 33 and 34. And Moses, writing for God, said, You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. Nor you shall fear, the Lord, fear your God, I am the Lord." You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You start seeing a pattern develop. Do you remember as we read in Romans chapter 13, love does no harm to his neighbor? That's exactly what he's saying here. You don't lie to him. You don't steal from him. You don't cheat him in any way. That's not loving him keep going. Verse 16, you shall not go about as a tail bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear the sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. Oh, you see, I don't do things like rob, steal, but also don't talk about. I don't bear tails. But even further than that, he said you don't bear a grudge in your heart. You don't hate your brother. Oh, I see now. When I love my neighbor means I don't mistreat him in any way. Whether things I say, whether the things I do, or whether the things I think. Oh, but see, I... I can see the the Jewish man, hey, I do that. I'm a good man. Drop down to verse 33 and 34. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, and you shall not mistreat him, the stranger who dwells among you shall be as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God. Oh, you mean the person who's in our land, I can't hate him, the foreigner, the someone who doesn't belong. No, you can't hate him. In fact, you treat him well. You love him like you love yourself. Oh then. So the people who had interpreted the Lord's message as the Lord spoken the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43 through 48, they had misunderstood God's teaching? Absolutely they had. You know, sometimes we have this idea that we, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, that means somebody that lives next door to us. Or somebody who may be one of our acquaintances, one of our friends. No, it includes the foreigner. It includes everybody that we're to love them as we love ourselves. What that also means is that we have to do service for them, to do good to them. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is talking about liberty, and some had abused that liberty to the point where they thought they could use it as an excuse to sin. But he gets down to verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity through the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, how do I know what he's talking about? Look at verse fourteen, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see what he's talking about is is that I don't use the liberty, the freedom that I have to serve me. I use it to serve somebody else and their benefits and their good. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you and I respond to bad people, to wicked people, to ungodly people? Well, the question is, how does God respond to them? If God only set the rain on the good and the just, then God would not be a kind of person who loves everybody. But God wants us to know that He loves each and every one of us. People ought to know that we love them by the service we render. What that means is I have to put others first. Romans 12, verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Chapter 15, verse 2, let us each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Now I will explain that that doesn't mean that I give my neighbor everything that he asks for, everything he wants. But I do that which is for his good, leading to his edification, leading to his being built up. Our Lord would put it like this in Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophet's. Do you want somebody to lie to you? No, I don't want nobody to lie to me. (coughs) Then don't lie to them. Do you want somebody to steal from you? No, well then don't steal from them. Do you want somebody to say bad, mean, evil things about you? No, well then don't say bad, evil things about them. Treat them like you want to be treated yourself. Perhaps one of the best places to read about this is in the book of Philippians. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each... Esteem others better than himself. Verse 4 is a key verse. Look out, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And how did Paul go on to complete this in verse 5? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Think like he thought. So we've identified our neighbor. We've talked about what's included. Now, let's think about that last part of that phrase. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's when we reach the ideal. That's when we get to a point of maturity where we're able to look at our neighbor And we treat them just like we would treat ourselves. We love them like we would love ourselves. Someone says, well, I don't know what that would really entail. When you go to Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 34, Paul is comparing the church and Christ to the husband and the wife. And Paul is talking about a man ought to love his wife as he loves his own self. Now, if I love my wife like myself, then what does that convey? Well, look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. You know what happens when Tony gets hungry? Tony finds him food. You know what happens when I get thirsty? I find me something to drink. You know what happens when I'm cold? I find some clothes to put on. When I'm sick, I find a doctor. You see, for me, I have this idea of of what my needs are and then I try to provide those needs to the very best of my ability. Well, if I love my neighbor just like I love myself, I've got to look at his needs. And the ideal is, is that when I see his needs and I see what I can provide, then I ought to provide it. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. You've heard this so many times, you probably had it read at your wedding. This is a very important section of Scripture about what real love involves. Love suffers long, is kind. Does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things. Hopes all things, endures all things. Go on to the first part of verse 8. Love never fails. You see, the real question is, when I say love my neighbor as myself, the Lord elevated that to an idealistic stage which says... I've got to start looking at other people and thinking about their needs and thinking about how they need to be provided for as much as I look at my own. Oh, that was such a hard lesson to teach. Particularly even to the apostles. You remember James and John as they came upon that Samaritan village? The Samaritan village wouldn't receive the Lord and... Their suggestion was, Lord, do you want us to call down fire out of heaven and consume them like Elijah did? And the Lord said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. James and John, you've not got this understood. As they argued in John 13 about which of them was going to be the greatest, the Lord had to adorn a towel and wash their feet and teach them a lesson of humility. And how does He respond to them in John 13? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are My disciples. If you have love for one another. Jesus said, let me show you what that means. Just like I have loved you, my love is sacrificial, my love is giving. He doesn't drop it there. You go to chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Why did the Lord begin that discussion with those disciples In John 13, in the upper room on that Thursday evening before he's going to be crucified on Friday morning, why did he spend all that time talking about love? It's because these men hadn't fully grasped the meaning of it. When you and I start loving like this, it becomes ingrained in our character. It becomes a part of who we are and what we do. For instance, I want you to listen to Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to take that whole section. It begins at verse 31, goes through verse 46. I just want to look at verses 34 through 40 for just a moment. Those who have been separated like a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats. He said, the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in and naked and clothe you? You see, in their minds, Lord, we don't remember doing that. Here's how he goes on. Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it, and to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Oh, you, you treat everybody that way. Yes. The least of these, my brethren, you did it to them, you did it to me. Of course, you know how it goes on. Those on the left are told to depart. Why are they told to depart? Because the same things that was done by these was not done by the others. And they said, Lord, when do we see you in this situation? He said, when you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. Loving God like we love ourselves and loving our neighbor like we love ourselves means that we do for them like we would do for ourselves. Five lessons that emphasize a love for God and for fellow man. God always comes first. That's the first and great commandment. But others come next. Now, let me, as I prepare, to extend the invitation talk about real love tells people the truth. You know, I could come up here and easily just preach all positive lessons and never try to point out the fact that many times we are failures in doing what God has told us to do. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul would write, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Just like in Psalm 141, verse 5, let the righteous strike me. It will be kindness. Let him rebuke me and it will be excellent oil. Let my, not my head refuse for still my prayers against the deeds of the wicked. Folks, sometimes it's easy, particularly when we live in a world of anger, in a world of hostility. The political climate in our world today is there's so much hatred, so much vile, easy to get caught up in it. Easy for me, I don't know about you. But we've got to recognize that we're to love our neighbors just like we love ourselves. We've got to do good to them. And so I ask the question, are you loving God with all your being? If you are, here's what John writes, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we keep, love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. If you love God right now, and you're not a Christian, when we sing this invitation song, nobody's going to have to pride you. No one's going to have to push you. You're going to say, if I love God, I need to respond. I need to come and be baptized for the remission of my sins. There's no need to delay this any longer. It's time for me to express my love for God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'll repent of my sins, and I'll be baptized for the remission of those sins. As a Christian, Sometimes we fail so miserably and sometimes we do publicly. And we, our lives are a reflection not of, of godliness, but our lives are a reflection of worldliness. And Occasionally it's important for us to stand up and say, I I've, I've failed and I'm sorry and I want God to forgive me. If you need to respond to his invitation, would you come as we stand and sing?